Hello, welcome everybody to the No Normal Show for Thursday, January 7th, 2021. Yay, we made it to 2021. It's our show brought to you by Revive Health. It's our weekly deep dive into a hospital and how hospital and health system marketers can navigate what we call the no normal. Um, though I don't know, maybe we're maybe it's all normal again. Uh, not sure whether we should change the name or not. Uh, I'm Chris Bevelo. Hello again, everybody. Health systems practice lead at Revive Health and your host for the show. I'm joined as always by Chase Kleckner, Senior Marketing Manager at Revive Health and our show's producer. Hello, Chase. Hey, Chris. Happy New Year. Glad to be at this again. Yeah, yeah. And I, I am thrilled to welcome um, perhaps the best timed guest we've ever had, John Bigelow, who is the Executive Director of the Coalition for Healthcare Communication, an organization advocating for the free flow of credible and accurate health information. He monitors health policy issues for the health communications and marketing industry with membership spanning advertising, marketing, scientific communications, print and digital platforms, and point of care education. John was previously CEO and president of KnowledgePoint360 Group, a leading provider of multi-channel medical communications, consulting, benchmarking, and workflow solutions in the United States, United Kingdom, and Germany, as well as president and editorial director of Cligit Publishing, he also is a board member and past president of the Association of Medical Media and serves on boards for two companies and an ocean sciences laboratory and is here today to talk to us about healthcare policy and politics. Not much going on there, John. Not much at all. It's been a slow week. <laughs> it's been a slow week. Um, it's so great to have you. And I can't tell you how many times um, people who are attending, we have changed this and updated our agenda because some things have been happening, um, but perfect timing, John, really looking forward to, to diving in. So this is the part in the uh, agenda where we say, highlight, is there anything we wanna talk about in the news before we get to the content, uh, which is a little bit hysterical, right, John? Because we, we intended and will talk about the ramifications of the changes that have come about since the election uh, on healthcare policy, but obviously we did not anticipate yesterday. So uh, I don't know how much yesterday really impacts those policies. Maybe you want to talk about, um, there's a couple of things that happened yesterday, right? There was the, the Georgia results, which definitely would impact them, um, but then also the chaos in the Capitol. Yes, and I think we should talk about both because, you know, all new presidents come to office full of hope and promise. But in the spirit of no normal, uh, Joe Biden um, faces some very unusual constraints as he comes into office. Uh, certainly part of it is that he faces multiple crises on day one. The coronavirus situation is getting worse and will continue to get worse for a number of weeks. Economic situation is a major problem. Just within the last few weeks, we've learned of a major cybersecurity hack, and they still don't know the extent of it in the government. Um, there's the concern over racial and social injustice, the concern over climate change. Another sort of unusual problem is that as Biden comes in, one third of the American population doesn't think he won the election. And as yesterday's stunning and tragic events in the Capitol illustrated, um, the person he defeated is not making it easy in this transition. 
This is ironic because actually in the context of other election results in the 20th and 21st centuries, President Biden had a pretty decisive win. He won by more than 7 million popular votes. His 306 electoral votes are more than or the same as a number of other recent presidents such as, for example, Harry Truman or John Kennedy or Richard Nixon in his first term, or Jimmy Carter, or George W. Bush in his first term. So it was a decisive victory that should be giving him a mandate to govern. And yet uh, he faces now an opponent of, who is creating a lot of problems for him. And this will be the first time since 1933 that a new president has come in where the person he defeated, in this instance, it was Franklin Roosevelt defeating Herbert Hoover, where the person he's defeating is planning on running for election again in four years. And unlike Herbert Hoover, Donald Trump has a Twitter account. Uh, and he did have a Twitter account. Does he have it again? Is it back? Different personalities. So yeah. uh, aside from that, uh, there's some other things to consider. One is that the Democratic margin in the House was reduced in the election. It's four or five seats, depending on a couple of seats that still have to be determined. So Speaker Pelosi has to work very hard to hold together her moderate and progressive members. In the Senate, Biden got a big victory this week when the two Georgia seats uh, were flipped to the Republican Party. What that means is the Democrats theoretically have control of the Senate, but control is a relative term. It's a 50-50 split. That means that the vice president, who will be Kamala Harris, uh, casts a tie vote, and that allows the Democrats to organize the Senate. It does not mean it's going to be really easy to pass legislation because um, the Democratic caucus first off ranges everywhere from the the Bernie Sanders liberals to the Joe Manchin yeah. moderates or even conservatives. Um, you can't afford to lose a single vote on any confirmation vote on any initiative. There is no prospect now of repealing the filibuster. So that means any major initiative will need 60 votes, uh, except if it can be categorized right. as a reconciliation. And that means you need to win some moderate Republicans as well. So it's not a free pass, but setting the agenda is the big reason it makes a difference. As uh, the outgoing Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has demonstrated repeatedly, including just a week or so ago, when despite uh, President Trump, the Democrats, and many Republicans all being in favor of $2,000 stimulus checks, McConnell refused to allow it to come to a vote and therefore the idea died. And relevant to our audience, uh, during this past year, uh, conservative Senator Chuck Grassley and a liberal Senator Ron Wyden, the chair and the ranking member of the Senate Finance Committee, hammered out a bipartisan drug pricing reform package that had majority support in the Senate but never came to a vote, so it never passed. So being able to control what comes to vote is a really, really important thing. So we're gonna we're gonna get to some of the specifics of how the what you're talking about might show up in terms of policy changes, laws. Um, I, I want to 
you know, we talked a little bit as we were preparing for this show, John, let's just really quickly talk about if there is any implications of, of what's going on right now. Uh, because because what happened yesterday at the Capitol is still a fluid and changing situation mm -hmm. in, in terms of the 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 outcome of that. And the, the thing that we were talking about was um, last night there was some discussion about the 25th Amendment and impeachment again. Um, I think to all of us, as we talked about it, the three of us anyway, we were surprised that that's actually grown mm -hmm. um, today, that there's more of it today. And it doesn't mean it's going to go anywhere um, but, but let's say that that conversation continues, um, you know, what do you see as, as the potential impact of that dynamic alone, if there was uh, an attempt to try to remove President Trump or he was removed, um, is that going to make a big difference in the things we're going to talk about um, in just a second here? Well, as you said, it's a developing story and the situation may be very different 24 or 48 hours from now, but I think one thing it means is that although uh, there's obviously been a lot of anger on both sides in this election, and there are so many people who have been talking about Trump pardoning himself and how he shouldn't get off the hook for things that he may have done and things like that, it was in um, President-elect Biden's interest to move beyond that, to start moving on solving the problems and and uh, creating a track record and not get bogged down and relitigating everything that's happened in the last four years. I think that may be harder now because uh, there will be some pressure during these last 13 days of the Trump administration, uh, uh, perhaps some interest in removing Trump through the 25th amendment. Even if that doesn't happen, there will be people who are saying that if you've instigated riots that disrupt the Congress's activities, there should be a price to pay. So I think it's gonna be more difficult for the Biden administration to avoid wading into those waters. And I don't think that's where he wanted to go. Yeah, and that definitely could impact a lot of what we're gonna dive into here, just in terms of when it might happen and the priorities and that type of thing. As you, as you, you know, outlined at the beginning, there's a lot of priorities that Biden has to face um, of a crisis nature, right. which impacts, because uh, most of what, what we're going to talk about, I don't think would fall into the the crisis category in terms of healthcare, though some people would argue differently, I'm sure. Um, but all this would do is just push some of that further out, um, delay it, that type of thing. So we don't need to, to go deeper into it. It's just, it's hard not to talk about that when mm -hmm. we're facing that as a country. And again, like, um, if if ever there was a, an appropriate name for this podcast of the no normal, I mean, we, I'm, I know we did not anticipate this kind of lack of normality, Chase, when we named the show uh, of <laughs> what's happening right now. But um, boy, it just shows that we are in a we are in a, a really unique space. So so John, let's dive into some of the expertise you could bring to us. Let's start with the people. Let's start with some of the key players that are, that are going to play a role uh, in shaping healthcare law and policy uh, right. moving forward with Biden's administration and, and the new Congress. Okay. Uh, well, personnel is policy, many people would say, so it does make a huge difference. So just to begin with, so that we don't forget about it, uh, against all those constraints that Biden is facing, he does have some advantages. One of them, is that he comes into this, period, this position with long experience in government, which is to say he knows exactly 
which agency does what, where the power lies. Not all presidents coming in do. And I would recommend to anybody watching this, there was a great book published about three years ago by Michael Lewis called The Fifth Risk, mm -hmm. which was about uh, ostensibly about the transition from the Obama to the Trump administration. But actually, it was more about all the different agencies behind the scenes and what they do and how not understanding what they do made a big difference. Uh, Biden knows those things. And second, most of that government experience was as a senator. So he, now, he knows how deals are cut on the floor of the Senate. And that could be a big help because he's going to need to win a lot of um, centrist Republican votes uh, to get things passed. Um, and then the people he's appointed. So, so far he's been generally appointing fairly establishment figures, which I think is a reflection both of his own personality and also of his wanting to have people who can actually be confirmed by the Senate. Uh, in the healthcare arena, first, uh, as we can discuss in a minute, his largest single priority has got to be taming the coronavirus pandemic. Right. So he's tried to bring in some people who have uh, a science background, who have managerial skills, and who have communication skills. So his COVID czar is going to be a guy named Jeff Zients. Um, he is known as a manager and as somebody who's brought in to fix problems. For example, when Obamacare was rolled out and the healthcare.gov website was launched and was a total unmitigated disaster the first few days, they brought Zients in to fix that problem. So they have a problem solver. They've got a communicator in the form of Dr. Vivek Murthy, who's going to come back to his role as Surgeon General, and in the form of Dr. Rochelle Walensky, named as the director of the CDC, uh, partly because of her credentials in public health. She is the head of infectious diseases at Mass General Hospital, but also because she is a very media savvy communicator. And to the extent that CDC guidelines have been ignored, she may help them be taken seriously. Uh, probably his most significant health appointment of all will be the Secretary of Health and Human Services. And for that position, he chose Xavier Becerra. And that was initially considered a somewhat unusual choice because Becerra is uh, not a public health expert. And he also is not someone with with big management experience. And remember the Department of Health and Human Services has 80,000 employees, so you need to be a manager. But he has some other advantages. He served 12 terms in Congress. He was a member of the leadership of the Democratic Caucus. He was on the Ways and Means Committee, which is the committee that has jurisdiction over Medicare. Uh, he was one of the people who helped push the Affordable Care Act through Congress. And then more recently, he has served the last four years as attorney general in California, where he is perhaps best known for his role as the head of the pro-Affordable Care Act side in the case that's currently before the Supreme Court about the constitutionality of the Affordable Care Act. This is where uh, the attorneys general in Texas and several other states uh, have sued to say that the Affordable Care Act should be overturned 
and Becerra as the Attorney General of California, along with some other attorneys general, is arguing that it should not be overturned. And that case will be coming to a decision this spring. He also has some other uh, qualifications, if you will, that may be more concerning to the hospital and pharmaceutical industries. He has banned, he has uh, backed a ban on pay for delay deals between the branded and generic pharmaceutical manufacturers. California became the first state to have such a ban. He settled a landmark case for something like half a billion dollars against Sutter Health, which is a large, as you would know, network of hospitals and physicians in California, charging it there what he called anti-competitive behavior had driven up health costs. He filed a suit to give states more ability to regulate pharmacy benefit managers. Um, he has argued for using marching rights to remove the patents for companies so that uh, remdesivir could be, used, could be produced more cheaply for use in the COVID pandemic. So those kinds of positions will give the industry a little bit of concern. Can I ask you a question, John? And you may, may or may not know this. Um, the, the case that you talked about, the Sutter case, I think a, a lot of our listeners keep an eye on that case for a couple of reasons and, th- and similar cases because the anti-competitiveness comes in kind of two forms typically. It's about the pricing, mm-hmm. um, which they really went after Sutter. And I, I believe Kamala Harris is the um, one who started that as AG. I could be wrong. Um, but also from the, the, the fact of mergers and growth um, kind of creating anti-competitive situations. So you mentioned um, that Becerra settled the case. You know whether that settlement was like, let's move on kind of settlement, or was, it a, was he as aggressive as maybe his predecessor was? Because a lot of people in the industry feel like that was a pretty aggressive litigation, um, whether you agree with it or not. I don't know if you have a view on kind of how he saw that given it was settled. I don't have close insight on that, but I think that it was a significant enough settlement to be declared a victory. Okay. Decide and sending a, an important message yeah. to other healthcare systems. And I think that was probably what he was intending to do to begin with. Okay, perfect. Thank you. So a lot of names there, a lot of new names. Um, obviously, as you said, the names matter. Because, um, you know, I, I think I said mistakenly in the beginning, there's not a lot of crisis components that we're going to talk about it completely. I don't know why missing COVID, um, especially given I chase every single time we do this, it's, it's, there's been a new record set the day before. I'm starting to feel like that's, that there's a correlation there that I don't like because we set another one yesterday in terms of, of deaths in this country, daily deaths. Um, and we set one the day before, I think, on hospitalizations or sometime this week. So obviously, that's a big deal. And obviously, a lot of people are familiar with the names, um, whether it's Fauci, whether it's Azar, that have been connected to this. Um, but even beyond that, I think people in the industry are familiar with um, some of the personalities. Um, for example, I can't think of her name. I'm sure you will know it. Uh, I believe she's the woman that's ahead of CMS. Um, but has been in the spotlight for the wrong reasons in terms of engaging PR firms for her own personal brand building and, and that type of thing. So yeah, that's the Seema people Burma. matters, right? Who's that again? Seema Burma. Right. And head of CMS, right? Right. Right. So, so really important, I think, for folks to understand, um, you know, 
the administrative changes, the people in place. What about in terms of Congress, in terms of the Senate and the House and how the shift in, in who's in power, you know, would we see different names maybe come forward from a healthcare standpoint? Well, it's a good question. Just before I answer that, let me just pick up on what you were saying though about yeah. the controversies you mentioned. One of the differences that I think the industry will see with the choices that Biden is making is more teamwork. One of the things that was distinctive about the group that President Trump brought in in various positions, including HHS secretary, CMS administrator, FDA commissioner, uh, CDC director, uh, when push came to shove and the COVID pandemic arrived, all these people already had been spending two or three years in infighting amongst themselves. Mm -hmm. Not so much Dr. Han at the FDA because he was new, but there had been a lot of turf battles between people like Azar and Verma. Um, there was a lot of poor understanding of process. So President Trump put out a lot of regulatory proposals which were stymied largely because they didn't follow process and they did things poorly. If they had been a little smarter about how they did it, they might have accomplished a lot more. Uh, with the Biden administration, he is thinking through teams of people and I don't think you will see that kind of, of infighting. And also he's bringing in people who know the process. Someone like a Becerra knows government process. Um, Neera Tandon, who's uh, been nominated to be the head of the Office of Management and Budget, which has to review any regulatory proposal in advance. She knows the process and she knows healthcare, having been one of the people who was an advisor to HHS on the Obamacare rollout. So I think you'll see that more buttoned up. But to your point, it also matters who are in the key positions in the Congress. And right off the bat, with the change of control of the Senate, suddenly, uh, every committee is now chaired by a Democrat and will have a majority vote of Democrats. The two committees that are most important to our world are the Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee, the so-called Senate Help Committee, which had been chaired by a Republican, Senator Lamar Alexander, who was retiring. And that will now be chaired by Senator Patty Murray of Washington. That is probably, you know, a comfortable feeling for industry. I think Patty Murray is a, a solid citizen type of player. And it should be good news in the sense that the alternatives, if the Republicans had retained control, would have been either Senator Richard Burr of North Carolina, who was next in line, but who might not have gotten the position because of the concern over some ethics violations having to do with some stock sales. But he would have been very hard on the Food and Drug Administration. He comes from a tobacco state and uh, tobacco and vaping regulation has been a major issue for him. And if he did not get the position, then it would have been Senator Rand Paul, who has some uh, very controversial libertarian ideas about how drugs should be approved. And it would have been a very interesting situation. The other key committee for this industry is the Senate Finance Committee, which has jurisdiction over Medicare and Medicaid. It also, of course, has jurisdiction over tax policy. 
Uh, and there, uh, Senator Ron Wyden will become the chairperson. He had worked collaboratively with the conservative Republican who had been the chair, Chuck Grassley, on some drug pricing reform legislation. He is likely to be more aggressive on his own on drug pricing reform. Uh, and so that's something for our industry to watch. Uh, and I say drug pricing reform because that's what the last Congress largely was concerned with, but I think hospital prices will also be part of that discussion increasingly. In the House, there won't be as many significant changes. Uh, Richard Neal will still be the head of the Ways and Means Committee, which is very important to our world. Uh, Frank Pallone of New Jersey will still be the head of the Energy and Commerce Committee, which health reports into. And the new head of the Appropriations Committee will be Rosa DeLauro, who previously had been the head of the Agriculture and FDA subcommittee. So she's more or less a friend of the Food and Drug Administration and very sensitive to the needs of our industry. Let me, can I ask you a question real quick? Um, on Chuck Grassley, only because I, I was from Iowa originally. I think he was a senator. Yes. He was, a, he was the senator when I lived there, and that was 30 years ago. It's been a long time. Um, historically, though, he has been very outspoken and and critical of the nonprofits nonprofit status of a lot of hospitals and health systems, um, and um, drove a lot of either regulation or legislation. I'm not sure which around um, showing improving community benefit as one example. Now that was a while ago. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he's still on that horse, um, but considering he will no longer be a committee chair, is there anything we should expect different? Given that he won't have the power he's had in the past or the, the maybe the pulpit he had before, or is that largely something that he's moved past that topic? Uh, I think he continues to be very suspicious of the of all of the healthcare industries, hospitals and pharmacy, pharmaceuticals as well. He is now gonna be the chair of the Judiciary Committee, by the way, so he's not leaving the Senate. He is still going to be in a position of power, just not specifically in the health area. Um, I think he will still be watching out for various things. For example, he was the, uh, the key person pushing the Sunshine Act. Right. And as you may remember, the Sunshine Act was actually enacted as part of the Affordable Care Act. So if the Affordable Care Act were to be declared unconstitutional by the Supreme Court this spring, the Sunshine Act also goes out the door. I'm sure that there'd be immediate moves to bring it back, but anytime you, you bring it bring it back up for discussion that can be changed, things can be handled differently. I think he would definitely be part of that discussion. So um, he's still there, he's still very influential. He is the president pro, um, but he will not be as directly involved. Okay, great. And, and I cut you off, sorry. I know um, I, I wanna talk a little bit about the specifics of what was likely or possible and what's definitely not gonna happen moving forward here. Um, as you kind of say over the next two years, because that's really as far as we should we should really be talking. Um, but talk just a little bit about overall some of the things contextually you think are going to be different um, in a Biden administration versus what we've seen in the Trump administration. You alluded to it a little bit with like as an example the infighting and the turf battles among some of the um, cabinet and, and health department areas. What else would you point to? Uh, I, I think several things. First, I think that. Uh, just given the situation in Congress, Biden will tend to make fairly moderate 
um, legislative proposals and the more progressive things he hopes to accomplish, he will do more by executive action. Um, I think also under Trump, the industry tended to face Twitter attacks and inconsistent messages and poorly designed executive orders and things like that under Biden and under the incoming Senate. There's gonna be more interest in the federal government constraining hospitals and pharmaceutical companies, but also a much tighter focus on proper procedures. Um, that means executive orders will have more teeth. That means that laws will be better thought through. Um, some things will be off the table. As I mentioned earlier, there will not be a move to uh, eliminate the filibuster. There's just no votes for that. We're not going to welcome Puerto Rico as a state, I think, as a state. I don't think or, so. Yeah, OK. <laughs> uh, candidate Biden talked about a broad, progressive reform of the tax system. Not going to happen in the next couple of years. Uh, he talked also about a great significant expansion of the Affordable Care Act with a public option and expanding Medicare to cover people at age 60 and things like that. There won't be a major expansion of the Affordable Care Act. So what will there be? I think, um, of, of course, you know, there could be new priorities that come up because every president every day gets up and faces whatever international crisis may happen. But I think the key things he's going to be focused on are going to be the uh, COVID epidemic from a public health standpoint, the economic fallout of the COVID pandemic, strengthening the Affordable Care Act, and the cybersecurity hack that just happened. So maybe just taking off a little bit about those, you know, uh, Chris, you mentioned earlier uh, that COVID is one of these major priorities, and that is really a two-pronged Priority and it's not going to be easy. For all the reasons you mentioned, you know, the case numbers are getting worse and worse. They're probably going to get worse because the uh, the coronavirus variant from the UK that seems to be more contagious is just beginning to spread around our country. Uh, you may have seen a report just today that another variant of COVID nineteen seen in South Africa. Uh, yeah may be more resistant to the vaccines that have been approved so far. Um, so there's several aspects of this. There's the public health measures aspect where mask wearing, social distancing, things like that has become a partisan issue. And Biden is working by bringing in public health experts and bringing in behavioral science experts and bringing in communicators to try to address how you get across the importance of public health measures. There's the issue of making the public confident in the vaccines. And as you've known, uh, there have been polls that have shown significant portions of the population and especially of certain demographics are reluctant to take the vaccine. So there's that argument. And then in the last few days, we've really seen a third problem, which is the logistical challenge of the rollout of vaccine. Um, it, it was a mir miracle almost that we developed vaccines as quickly as we did and great praise to everyone who was involved in that. But it is clear that there wasn't enough attention given to thinking through and funding the uh, supply chain and the logistical challenges of delivering those doses into people's arms. 
about 5 million or so doses of vaccine have apparently been delivered into people's arms so far. Uh, Dr. Fauci mentioned within the last two or three days that he sees the prospect of that ramping up to maybe a million uh, vaccinations per day in the near future. But even that isn't good enough because just think through the math here. Right. 331 million Americans. To get herd immunity, you're probably going to need somewhere in the vicinity 90%. So just for round numbers, let's say that's 300 million Americans of whom 5 million have already gotten their first dose. Uh, so it's 295 million Americans still to go and we're five days into the, into the year. So what we're really saying is you would have to deliver an average, not just of one dose, but of uh, one million doses, but of two million doses of vaccine every day for the next 295 days, which takes us to the end of October to reach that 90% level by the end of October. And we are nowhere close to delivering two million doses a day. And that is even if we get enough vaccine supply, because we've all heard that there is something like a enough doses on order from Pfizer and Moderna to take care of 185 million Americans. That still leaves another 100 million Americans. Uh, probably the AstraZeneca vaccine will be approved, but we don't know that for sure yet. The others are further down the road. Uh, there's a lot of things that can go wrong here. So this is a huge problem that uh, will be a real challenge for the Biden administration. Yeah, for sure. And I, I'm going to get political just for five seconds. It's good to know we'll have an administration that actually is going to focus on that, though. I'll just leave that there. Um, do you, real quickly, do you want to hit on some other issues that, that you think are important for this audience to consider sure. um, from a hospital health system and a marketing communication standpoint that, it, that we should be looking for given the political changes? Right. Well, here are a couple. Um, one of them would be the Affordable Care Act. As I mentioned earlier, there is a case before the Supreme Court about the constitutionality of this case. Um, the, the Affordable Care Act is important not only because 23 million Americans get their insurance from it, and we're in the midst of a pandemic, that matters. Also because tens of millions of other Americans who have employer-based insurance have protections for pre-existing conditions and, and various other specific things because of the Affordable Care Act. Uh, it's also important because it enlarges the market. You know, if these people do not have health insurance, they're not going to be using uh, health care providers in the same way as they are now. So you'd have more emergency care service, less preventive care. It would change a lot of what's happening in American hospitals if uh, the Affordable Care Act went away. And that's even without talking about the fact that the Affordable Care Act also includes the pathway for approving biosimilar agents. It includes the Sunshine Act that I mentioned earlier. It includes the Medicare demonstration projects that are in place. So there's a lot at stake here. Now, I personally am suspecting after having listened to the oral arguments uh, in November that it is not a slam dunk that the Supreme Court will uh, turned down the Affordable Care Act. Many people assume that after Justice Ginsburg passed away and was replaced by Justice Barrett, 
that there would now be a 6-3 vote against the Affordable Care Act instead of the 5-4 vote in favor of it that had previously existed. But there's a key issue in this case about the severability of one right. specific clause. The, uh, the case hinges around the idea that because the tax reform bill of December 2017 eliminated the tax penalty for the individual mandate, therefore the whole law should go down. Justice Kavanaugh has on a number of other cases ruled about situations like that, that those clauses should be considered severable from the rest of the law. Gorsuch has ruled in one such case in a similar way. Barrett's opinion is not clear, but if any one of those three justices considers that to be severable, then the Affordable Care Act may live to last another day. So that's important. So that's something to watch and that'll come down in spring. Should really look at it either way. If the Affordable Care Act is overturned by the court, I think that now, uh, partly because the Democrats will control the agenda in the Senate, President Biden probably could get enough Republican votes to pass a law that would fix whatever specific flaw the Supreme Court might point to. So for example, if the problem is the individual mandate and that's no longer valid because there's no longer a tax penalty, you could impose a tax, a nominal tax of $25 or something like that uh, to enforce the, the um, individual mandate. And I would imagine that Biden could get enough moderate Republicans to agree with that given that the alternative is seeing 23 million people lose their insurance in the middle of the pandemic. Um, on the other hand, if the Affordable Care Act is upheld by the court, I think you will see the Biden administration uh, try a number of executive actions to strengthen it. That could include increasing the marketing budget to make people more aware of their options. It could include restoring the so-called navigators who helped people look through the different options. It could include either by regulation or perhaps by some form of legislation, increasing the subsidies for uh, Affordable Care Act uh, insurance. So I think there's a number of things that could be done there. So I think that's something to watch. Well, can I ask you a question? Actually, it's not my question. I wanna, before we go on from the ACA, um, there was a question that came in earlier and I wanted to wait till you covered it in the way that you just did. But I still think it's it's a great one, and it's it's less about what may you know what could happen if depending on the Supreme Court, and more about do you see either way anything that this administration could do to just put this to rest finally? So obviously, since its inception, the ACA has been attacked. I mean, I don't know. There was a I don't know how many times the Congress, um, or I think it was just the House, frankly, under Obama like voted to repeal it. It was dozens of times, right? right. Um, obviously, once President Trump got into office, there's there was a more serious attempt and McCain blocked that, um, but it's continued to be under assault. And obviously now we have the Supreme Court. Do you believe the Supreme Court ruling might be the end of this continued assault? Or is there um, something that the Biden administration can do to just you know, or is this just politics? Are we at a point now where, to your point, even some moderate Republicans would be like, look, we need this part of it. We're just not going to, we're not going to worry about this anymore. I, I think that if the 
the, the direct answer is I don't think there's something that the Biden administration specifically can do right now. Uh, maybe they can if they win some more Senate seats in 2022. Um, but right now, I don't think there's anything they can do. But I think that if the Supreme Court upholds the Affordable Care Act, um, I, I think that public opinion on this issue has turned. Uh, it is clear now that a majority of Americans approve of the Affordable Care Act. That was not the case a few years ago. I think that the uh, pandemic has increased the support for the Affordable Care Act. Um, I think that some of the people who have been most vocal in campaigning against it are no longer going to be as prominent on the scene. So I think that the Affordable Care Act has survived. And uh, as time goes by, people will be more comfortable with it. Um, the entire tenor of the debate two or four years ago was, isn't Obamacare horrible? It's costing too much and it's an infringement on liberty. The tenor of the debate in 2020 was in the Democratic primaries, the great support for Medicare for all for something stronger than Affordable Care Act. So I think this has somehow moved from being seen as the extreme left position to being seen as the moderate position. Okay, that's helpful. Uh, I know we're getting close to time. Uh, we've got another question comes in, but there's two things that I want you to hit on real quick, John, um, that, that we had in the, in the agenda, and I wanna make sure we address them. The first is, um, you've raised the issue of taxes on marketing and digital advertising, which has been brought up before, um, at least in my career, I've seen a number of times, usually it's shot down on First Amendment kind of arguments that, hey, you can't tax free speech and that's what advertising is. Um, I'd love to hear your, your take if there's something different on that. And then also, um, just quickly, is there anything we should expect um, related to the January 1 price transparency regulation um, that a lot of health systems, what they're beholden to now, but many are kind of just, hold, they're in a holding pattern to see what would happen. Um, maybe the Biden administration changes some things. So hit those two things real quick for us. Okay, and, and I'll do that in, in the same order you presented them. Okay. Uh, you're correct that a tax on pharmaceutical marketing, and to be a little more specific, it's actually to remove the tax deduction for marketing expenses. Right which has been part of the Internal Revenue Service code since the early 1900s. So this is a long time thing, has come up before, but I think it's more at risk today. The new fiscal reality is that whereas in the past we fretted over federal budget deficits of a few hundred billion dollars, touching on a trillion dollars once, uh, in the days of COVID, we ran a $3.1 trillion federal deficit in the fiscal year ended September 30th. We will be running at least a $2 trillion deficit this year, and it could be a lot more depending on the next COVID relief bill. The interest rates are low right now, so it's not as much of a crisis, and you don't want to raise taxes broadly in an economic recession. Yet, you can't just let these deficits continue to build and build. Uh, and that's even without getting into other projects that President-elect Biden may want, infrastructure projects, right. for example. So the fiscal reality is you need to bring in some revenue. And no one wants to impose taxes on the middle class, especially at a time like this. 
So there will be pressure to include in other bills add backs to bring in some offsetting revenue and to remove the deductibility of marketing expenses is one of those things that could be con considered a twofer. You bring in revenue, significant revenue, and you also can strike a blow against the evil pharma companies or the evil hospital administrators or whatever. Uh, there are First Amendment reasons that it would not be appropriate, but those arguments will be harder if it's broadened to include all marketing, not just pharmaceutical marketing. Um, how that would play out, I really don't know. Uh, but I think it is a very large possibility and where it would happen would not be in a separate law, but as an add-on. For example, the omnibus bill that was passed around Christmas this year, uh, where the COVID relief bill was thrown in with the federal budget reauthorization. And then they threw in some other things like authorization for two new Smithsonian museums and deductions for some uh, corporate meals. And they threw in a bill against surprise medical bills. In one of those omnibus situations, you could see something like a marketing tax thrown in. Um, on your other point, the, the point about the rule for um, revealing price lists and various details about hospital charges uh, where the, the uh, enforcement date was, I believe, supposed to be January 1st. Uh, I don't know that that has been a high priority for any of the people I've heard of appointed to the Biden administration so far. And of course, we have not yet seen who the CMS administrator or some other key people are going to be. Um, it's also important to note that usually when you have an incoming president, Congress uh, convenes on January 3rd and in the period between January 3rd and January 20th, they begin confirmation hearings so that they can start confirming people immediately after the new president takes office. This time around, partly because it wasn't known who was controlling the Senate until this week, and now because the uh, Senate in its infinite wisdom has chosen to go on recess for the next two weeks, there will be no confirmation hearings. That means someone like Xavier Becerra is not going to take his position early in the Biden administration. A number of other key positions in the healthcare policy arena have not yet been appointed. So um, I don't think pragmatically there is much chance of there being delays in enforcement for almost anything. Wow. Okay. Um, that's just a that's just a whole nother scary kind of thing to think through. We won't we won't dive into it. I, I just want to add to your to your um, input on the the taxation thing. Obviously, the implication for those of us listening would be: look, if if marketing and advertising is no longer um, a, a tax benefit, you would assume that organizations would would reduce their marketing spending because they wouldn't see that benefit. You, we could have a whole conversation with a lot of other people about does that kind of tax law actually drive that kind of thinking? Um, I remember back when I had my business and they would they would raise kind of the capital limits you could spend each year thinking that, well, if we raise the capital limit of what you can spend, people will spend more. Most business owners don't go, well, look, now that now that it's taxable, I'm going to buy five more tractors or or whatever, right? It's it's a nice icing on the cake, but it it a lot of people would say it doesn't drive 
actual operational thinking. But overall, I think you would, uh, you know, we would see that there would be a drop or pressure on, on marketing budgets. So that's why it's important to just to, to keep an eye on that in our industry. So I, we gotta we gotta go, John. I, we could just keep going forever and ever on this. Um, we've got another question, but it would take us a while to dig into it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it. We may ask you to maybe um, answer it in writing or something, and we can get back to the the person who asked it, or we can read it on the next show. Um, but boy, I feel like we could just keep going all afternoon if we wanted to. Um, so appreciate you joining us. Such great information. Well, I appreciate the chance to join you. Um... The fact that there is so much to talk about and so many things we didn't even get to just shows that healthcare policy in Washington does make a difference to our industries, uh, and it's important to monitor it. Yeah, absolutely. And there, boy, there's a lot to monitor right now. So just you know, keep your keep your eye on things, folks. And that's why I laughed when you said that that um, this price transparency thing probably hasn't been a priority. Just given the world right now, probably a fair statement. <laughs> They're not focused on it. Well, um, but again, does Joe Biden really, ha is he really happy that he won the presidency after all that has gone on? That's right. That's right. Second, second guessing. Maybe it would on. have been fine to let Bernie or Elizabeth have it. That's right. That's right. Chase, thank you, sir. Absolutely. Appreciate Enjoyed it. the conversation. If there is something you'd like us to cover, uh, please just let us know. Post it in the Zoom chat right now or the Q&A function either way. You can also email us at nonormal at thinkrevivehealth.com. We want to make sure we're always covering things that are important to our listeners. Again, remember, you can get a copy or see uh, a copy of this uh, when we post it later today at thinkrevivehealth.com slash COVID-19 and subscribe to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts so you can listen to us on a regular basis. And boy, more than ever, Good luck out there in the no normal. And I don't mean that just from a healthcare marketing standpoint. Um, been a, it's been a week. Uh, so hopefully next time we see you, things will be better. We'll talk to you next time.